0: Thank you, Kevin, and band for leading us in worship today. Uh, I might just pause and ask, Kevin, did you recognize Preston today in his birthday? No, I didn't. No, you didn't? No. He uh, He turned 14 today. All right. There he is. He's at the door, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we caught him leaving. All right. Happy birthday to our drummer today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. And verse 2 and 3 is where we will begin to read. Matthew chapter 11. Or open your iPads to Matthew chapter 11. Verse 2 and 3, your smartphones should be there by now. Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3, first book in the New Testament, Matthew 11, verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? First century Judaism looked for a Messiah, a deliverer, one who would set the captives free. One who would be the Son of God. Isaiah 53 said He would bear our sins and God would give Him victory. Somehow once this Messiah, this Son of God came, everything would be okay. Rights, wrongs would be set right. And John once preached this. Matthew 3, 5 says that he's preaching at the Jordan and baptizing, and all of Judea went out to John to be baptized by him, confessing their sins. And John himself, this is two or three years earlier, made an absolutely dogmatic statement about Jesus. You find it in John chapter 1, verse 32 through 34. He said, "I, I bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Remember when he baptized Jesus, it says the Spirit came down in the form of a dove and sat on his head. And John said, when I was baptizing, I saw that. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize, that is, God the Father. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then John 1.34. Look at this. John said... I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I've seen it. I've borne witness to it. I've preached it. And then one, on one occasion, Herod, who had heard of John, the king, Herod, invited John to come into his presence. We don't know exactly how it happened, but uh, somehow John got an invitation to the White House. And, uh, but John didn't go to grovel. He went to preach. And Herod the king had taken his brother Philip's wife, Herod had divorced his wife taken his brother's wife whose name was Herodias and he took her to be his wife so when John comes John said to Herod this woman you have this is against the law of God it is unlawful for you to have her And Herod or Herodias were offended by that. And they put him in prison. Kind of ended his ministry. So here, this John, verse 2, when John heard in prison that Jesus was doing these mighty works, he had about given up on it. So he said, well... Are you the one? He he couldn't go himself, obviously, so he sent a messenger, some some of his disciples, and and he said, go ask him. Is he the one? Or should we look for someone else? That's pretty remarkable in the light of his earlier confessions of faith. Behold the Lamb of God, he said in John 1.29. I have borne witness. God told me. Watch for the one whom the Spirit comes on. And he said, I bore witness. This is the Son of God. But now, John's in prison. And according to some, he's been there about a year. And it's getting to him. So he is doubting Jesus. Jesus. Now, most of us believe in God. We don't really doubt whether there's a God. That's very unusual. But a lot of people doubt Jesus. If Jesus is everything he said he would be, the Bible says he would be, if he's the one, why doesn't he answer my prayers? Or heal my child? or save my marriage, or provide for my family, or deliver me from this addiction, if he's the one. As John would put it, or think it, why doesn't he get me out of jail? So he sends these messengers to Jesus. And in verse 4, you have Jesus' answer. Now, before I read this in verse 4, let me uh, put this up here on the screen for you. The, um, what the Old Testament predicts the Messiah will do. Okay, There's six of them there. Put those, put those up. When the Messiah comes... He will Isaiah 42.7, he will open blind eyes. Isaiah 35.6, the lame will leap like a deer. Leviticus 14.1, since only God could heal leprosy, then Messiah, if he does that, it's proof of who he says he is. Isaiah 35.5, the deaf will hear. Isaiah 26.19, the dead will be raised up. Isaiah 61.1, the poor will have the gospel preached to them. Now that's Old Testament predictions of what the Messiah, when he comes, those are six characteristics. And here's what Jesus says in verse 4. He names these exact six things, verse 4. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and you'll be blessed if you don't get offended by me. In other words, Jesus says to a a sincere inquirer with honest doubts, here's the proof. Quoting the Old Testament, by the way. The greatest proof of Jesus is in the Old Testament. Now notice something carefully here in Matthew eleven four. 4. Jesus answered them. Who's them? That's the messengers that John sent. He said, you go and tell John what you hear and see. Did you notice that when we read that? Go and tell him what you, that is these messengers, are hearing and seeing. Jesus didn't just say to these messengers, yeah, go back and tell him that I'm the Messiah, that I said so. He didn't do that. It was something like, "Uh, okay, fellas, before I send you back to John, come with me. And they must have followed him around a few days and saw him heal the sick, open blind eyes, deaf ears, heal the leper. And then he says, now you go tell him what you have personally witnessed. In other words, Jesus took the time to convince him. Which makes me think Jesus is so patient with our doubts. He does not fuss at John. He didn't say, you go tell John to get his act together. (laughs) You know? John, you're supposed to be a giant in the faith. And here you are. What kind of testimony is that? No, Jesus takes his time... And with such patience and precision, leads those people to convince convincing arguments, and then he commissions them go back to John and tell him what you personally have seen and heard. I just find that so sweet of Jesus. Isn't he sweet to us? When we are in the the ditch of depression and doubt, he's just so kind to us. And then, to further this, look at verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see a, 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 a reed shaken by the wind? What'd you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Those who wear soft clothes are in king's houses. What'd you go to see? A prophet? I tell you more than a prophet. And what is Jesus doing here? Well, John's disciples had been among them, following Jesus around, and somebody probably said, Hey, I, What are John's messengers doing here? Somebody said, well, you know, they ask him if he's really the one. John's doubting. And the word gets out. John the Baptist is getting backslid. And Jesus promotes John publicly. He defends his reputation. He turns to the people and he says... I don't want y'all to get a bad picture of John. What did you think John was? Did you think he was just something that blows in the wind? No, he's not. Do you think he's just a prophet? No, he's not just a prophet. And Jesus makes these breathtaking statements. First, verse 10. This is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare your way before you. Jesus says, quoting Isaiah 40 verse 3, that John was predicted in the Old Testament 700 years earlier. This is he of whom the the prophet Isaiah said, There will be a messenger who will come just for the Messiah. He'll prepare the way. He'll prepare the people. And Jesus points out that John, don't think little of John, people. That's what Jesus is saying to the people. He's the only prophet predicted in the Old Testament. Most of the prophets predict. He was predicted. And and Jesus points that out to him. Don't think because he doubts that he's insignificant. He's the only predicted prophet in the Old Testament. He's the subject of prophecy, a prophet who's the topic of prophecy. (laughs) But then he says, as if that wasn't enough, in verse 11... Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. Now, when I first read that, I I was thinking, so he's the, there's no prophet greater. Then it, it just hit me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, among those born of women, there's no human being Greater than John the Baptist. i I had to read that again. He's not just the only prophet that's predicted, but he is the greatest person in the entire Old Testament age. <laughs> I mean, Great, is John greater than Abraham? Yes. Is John greater than Joseph? Yes. Is John the Baptist greater than Moses? And the answer is yes. Is John the Baptist greater than David? On this side now. And is John greater than Solomon? Daniel? You name them. See, that just blows my mind. And especially within the context of John's doubt. Jesus did not take John's doubts public. He took his importance and significance public. That's Jesus. Aren't you glad that when Jesus talks about you to people, he tells the good things? That's one of the ways you can tell it's Jesus. When you get keep getting all this bad stuff about somebody and it's just d- negative and critical that's not Jesus who is that that sounds like satan the accuser of the brethren Re- revelation 12:11 says hello <laughs> therefore i want to tell you that if you're doubting jesus does not criticize you for doubting. He covers you. He protects your reputation. I'm so glad Jesus protects my reputation. Doubting in the dark, but boy, when Jesus brings you up. Now, He's not going to say about me, there's none greater born of women than Larry. (laughs) But He will bring up the good points. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus not only took the time to walk John's disciples with him for the next few days and then send them back with living proof, but he also took the time to promote John in front of the public so that they did not think ill of John. The patience and love of Jesus Christ to doubters. That's my point to you right now. He's patient and loving to doubters. I have to make a comment. That's all I, I can do at this point, but the comment in verse 11, after he says, there's no one born a woman greater than John. He then says... But the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's like you just get over one breathtaking statement and then you get hit by another one. What does that mean? Well, verse 13 says that all the prophets in the law prophesied up until John. You have to remember John is of the old covenant. Jesus initiates the new covenant. When he says none is born of women thus far, you're talking about John the Baptist. None is greater than John. But once the new covenant gets here, the kingdom arrives in the resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Are we, can we handle this? What does he mean by that? Well, consider access to God. In the Old Covenant, where John was part of that Old Covenant, you had to go to the temple, you had to have a priest, the high priest could take your sacrifice in, but the least in the kingdom, one of the children, one of the young people, the least in the kingdom, in the New Covenant age, can go directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ anywhere in the world. The least in the kingdom is greater than John. What about kingship? Did you know that your Revelation 1-6, by the blood of Christ He has made us kings and priests unto God. Kings and priests unto God. There used to be a song, I, I think, sometimes... I still hear it. Um, I'm a child of the king. Y'all ever heard that? Child of the king, a child of the king. Um, But actually in the Bible, you're not simply a child of the king. You're a king. You don't have your full potential at this point. But your destiny is that of royalty. You are a blue blood And in the future resurrection, you will reign on the earth, is what the Bible says. And you will be in charge of angels. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we will judge angels. You are beloved of the Father as much as the Father loves the Son, Jesus Christ. He loves you, John 17, 23. The least in the kingdom is greater than those Old Covenant prophets. John was the greatest in the Old Covenant age, but the least is in the kingdom, the New Covenant age, is greater than he. What an amazing statement. And that's a sermon to itself. Now let's go to verse 12 as Jesus continues his statements about John the Baptist. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, this is the English standard, suffers violence. Or as some translations have it, it is characterized by force. It's... it's it has. It's forceful. The new international version, I think, hits it on the nail. It. It is for. It pushes forward forcefully. It. Uh, it has been forcefully advancing. See, in the de- from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom is forcefully making progress. And then he uses that same verb and says. And the forceful lay hold of it. That is, they try to stop it. They try to seize it like Herod did. From the days of John, the kingdom has once again started advancing. And it's powerful. And the powerful have tried to stop it. They've tried to grab it see, for 400 years, the last prophet was Malachi. 400 years passed, and the kingdom had just, its progress had just stopped. It just didn't seem to go anywhere. But suddenly with John, the kingdom is powerfully forging ahead. John was like a bulldozer. Leveling mountains and raising valleys is what Isaiah said he would do. Powerful bulldozer—that's John the Baptist, baptizing all of Judea. But Herod, he comes in and he forcefully lays hold of John and tries to stop it. Now here's the, here's what Jesus is saying. Again, he's defending John he's saying to people I want you to know that the kingdom had just stopped but suddenly John appears and now it's forcefully advancing again that's what he's telling the crowd about John he's still, he's still puffing John he's still promoting John And he's saying that wherever there's a John, there'll be a Herod. Wherever there's a Christ, there's an Antichrist. Wherever there's a preaching of the gospel, there'll be resistance to the gospel. In other words, John is not only playing the role that was predicted in Isaiah, but he's playing a powerful role without description, nothing like it. So Jesus has responded to John's doubts with patience and with kindness and with insight. John, you need to know, and I'm letting people know, that the kingdom hasn't stopped with you in prison. The proof that the kingdom is powerfully going forward is that you're in prison. <laughs> but we're continuing to do the works of God. So here's two or three lessons this morning. Number one, uh, to those of you who are struggling with doubts about Jesus, I want you to know He loves you. Jesus loves doubters as the same as believers John questions Jesus and Jesus defends John I love that it makes me love Jesus if you want somebody on your side get Jesus because he's loyal when you're down there's a verse in John, 1 John 4, 16 where the apostle says, we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. You see that? We've come to know and believe the love. Do you believe in His love? Sometimes you have to have faith in His love. John had to have faith in God's love. When you're in a dark prison with your hands chained up, it's easy to doubt his love. But he says we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Here's another thing. Not only compassion of Christ, but your doubts about Jesus does not change Jesus' view of you. When John's view of Jesus was ebbing, Jesus' view of John was stunning. Man, Jesus, do you really think that highly of John? And it's more important what Jesus thinks of you than what you think of Jesus. One other point. That blessings await those who do not trip over their troubles. I, I read over this. I didn't comment on it, but I want to back up to Matthew 11, verse 6. Jesus tells his, those messengers, going back to John, He says, oh, mention to John, blessed is he who is not offended by me. In other words, blessed are those who do not trip up over unexplained troubles and unanswered questions. I'll do my best, John, to answer your questions, but there's some things I can't tell you right now. Blessed are those who are not offended by how Jesus conducts His business and runs your life. Billionaire Ted Turner founder of CNN uh, and at one time owned the Atlanta Braves which I think won the World Series in 1995. He suggested on one occasion that we discard the Ten Commandments and follow his, what he called, Ten Voluntary Initiatives. (laughs) That's something I want to jump right on there. He once told one of his wives, he said, first in my life is business. Second is my boat. Third is you. Okay, that'll make for a happy marriage. He was invited to speak at an atheist convention and his famous quip from that speech was, Christianity is a religion for losers. Yeah, I guess we know what he thinks of us. But it wasn't always like that. When he was younger, he attended church and even considered being a missionary. But then came trouble. His younger sister was diagnosed with lupus. And after several painful years, she died, leaving his faith in tatters. Why would God do that? Why didn't He answer my prayers? Why didn't He heal her? And Ted Turner abandoned his faith. Today, he's over 80 years old. He has dementia. He's divorced all of his wives. No surprise there. He's lost 80% of his wealth. The saddest thing about Ted Turner is that he's coming to the conclusion of his life and he has no faith in Jesus Christ. He has no faith. He's had it all. He's had everything. But what does all that matter when you have no faith in Jesus Christ? If you are doubting Jesus, I want you to know, and here's here's my summary this morning. If you are struggling with doubts, you will find Jesus Christ is patient and loving to you. Oh, so So kind. You will also find, if you knew what He knew, you'd find that God is right on schedule. He's not late or early. He's doing exactly what He said He would do. And that your role in His kingdom is more significant than you could dream. This is how... Jesus viewed John, it's almost beyond description. This is why it's given to us in the Bible. Jesus wants us to know, You're the, you who are least in the kingdom are greater than he. Think how significant your role is if John's role was like that. It boggles the mind. And this is true No matter how you feel about Him, whether you have doubts about Him or not. John, I believe, died in faith in Jesus. And that's what I want us to do. In John 14, verse 1, Jesus said this, If you believe in God, believe in me also. Take that faith that you have in God the Father. Put it in me also. He didn't say put it in me instead. He said put it in me also. Because He's the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He's the Messiah. And He will show it to us in time. Bring your doubts to Him. It's okay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You today for Your patience Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your love. Such love astounds us. And we praise you for it. I I pray that every person today who might be struggling with some measure of doubt about you, Jesus, pray that out of your heart of compassion will deal gently with your child bless them, strengthen them help them through your word forgive them send someone to them and grant us all your grace and faith in Jesus name Amen let's worship now with our tithes and our offerings and I do mean let's worship let's worship as we give (music) Thank <music>